Welcome back. We're glad you're here. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day, Adrian. <laughs> Happy Indigenous Peoples Day, Matika. <laughs> you know, it's really important to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day over our traditional American assimilation practices <laughs> yeah. I mean I, over genocide you know right. and we actually did a whole episode we did a whole episode about this last year right if you want to hear us kind of be snarky and talk about all the reasons why you should not support Columbus and should instead support Indigenous Peoples Day you can definitely check that one out it's short um, and we'll post it on our social media feed um, I do want to mention and it was something I realized um thanks to folks on instagram that in that episode we don't ever name taino people as like the folks who actually met columbus's ships um and experienced the devastation following that so um want to make sure that we center that idea um and that community when we're talking about indigenous people's day so shout out to the taino people who are still here and still holding it down even after all of that you would think that this would be like my favorite day of the year, but instead, Indigenous Peoples Day is always a day that I work the most. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, it's like good and bad. I'm always honored that people want me to like come speak on their campuses and stuff, but I'm also like, you can have me anytime, just not October <laughs> 12th. <laughs> Every day can be Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, and I know for like a lot of us, this kind of starts the downward slope of bad representations though this year there's a few things like normally it's you know indigenous people's day slash celebrating that genocidal explorer and then it's halloween and then it's thanksgiving and it's football season etc cetera, etc cetera. but this year we don't have to worry about the washington r words so that's exciting that's a big come up and also you know this year there's been a lot of uh statues taken down you know i mm -hmm. wonder if they're going to be replaced with dope indigenous people like you i'd make a statue for you adrian <laughs> please don't <laughs> i don't i don't need a statue I, that's but thank you <laughs> i guess i am honored maybe but also i mean there's been some like major movement around halloween too i just like helped out a little bit with pinterest is doing this huge campaign to like remove offensive costumes from their site and anytime you like search on Pinterest for Indian or Native American Halloween costume you get an educational pin that links to an article that <laughs> I wrote about why it is bad so that's cool and Spirit Halloween that Store cool. took all of their Native costumes off their website so they're the largest Halloween retailer that's a huge thing so I think in the world of yep. representations, we're doing a little better. Too bad we have a world-ending election coming. <laughs> yeah, and that's what we're here to talk about today. And we're going to talk a little about the nuance and complicity of saying go vote to Indian country, you know, because I always feel really uncomfortable being like, you should vote, you should vote knowing that I'm telling people to participate in a system that wasn't designed for them and that has tried to oppress them, assimilate them, terminate them, uh, us, our communities, our sovereignty, our self-determination, our right to be who we are, and then, you know, 
could you just go participate in that system, please? (laughs) Right. It's it's complicated. (laughs) Yeah, to say the least. Sorry. Let's jump right in and talk a little about the history of the Native vote and the history of the suppression of the Native vote. I got to tell you that when Trump first got elected, I felt like so sick to my stomach. I And I spent a good amount of time reflecting on my own personal behavior, like thinking to myself, did I do enough to you know, like, try to make this not happen, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and the answer is, you know, I don't often talk about national politics, both through Project 562 on my blog, personally, you know, because I, fi- I find it incredibly po- problematic and uncomfortable to talk about because, you know, we are living in a colonial state and the federal government has actively tried to eradicate us and there's a long history of broken promises and broken treaties. Therefore, it feels very uncomfortable to say to my fellow Native people, you know, go vote in this system that's not meant for us, that doesn't actually ever do the things that it's said it's going to do, but go vote anyways. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> it feels, I feel like a hypocrite just saying it. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I really feel like we need to talk about it, right? Yeah, it is by no means a simple decision for folks in Indian country. And I think that's really important to acknowledge and to think about as we start to talk about this election and what we need to do. Right. And, you know, there has been a long history of active Native vote suppression. For the first 150 years in this country, we weren't even allowed to vote. Um, And then in 1924 came the Indian Citizenship Act, which formally made us U.S. citizens, but states continued to prevent us from voting. Right. I think sometimes like there's memes and stuff that get posted where it's like going through the different marginalized groups and when they finally got the right to vote. And it often says like Native Americans 1924. But we know for a fact that that's not true because as you just said most states um, still had things in place uh, to prevent native folks from voting like it wasn't until 1948 that natives in um, Arizona got the right to vote Um, and then all of that suppression that played into the passage of the Voting Rights Act so in 1975 so the things like uh, literacy tests or poll taxes or all of these suppression techniques that affected other communities of color, um, black folks also affected uh, Native folks as well. There's all of these appalling facts that have led to all of these underlying issues uh, and voting cases as to why our people have not shown up to the polls in the same numbers. You know, I, um, I often get asked, you know, like, well, when I tell when I'm having this conversations with non-native people and say yeah like a lot of not native people that I know um, aren't don't vote or when if you look at the numbers you know 
you would you might think to yourself like well why wouldn't native people be active in this process and i just want to acknowledge that it it's it's very systemic <laughs> done on purpose oh absolutely yeah and i mean this right. so we're like giving the dates from like 1924 1948 1975 but like in 2018 north dakota changed their id laws to say that if you were voting you had to have an id that had a street address on it and most Native folks in North Dakota use P.O. boxes and don't have street addresses. So it was like an active step to try and suppress Native vote in North Dakota because Natives have power in voting in North Dakota and in a lot of states that have high Native populations. So like this is an ongoing thing for Native communities. And then that actually that actually didn't work out well for North Dakota because all of these activists <laughs> came together. It got really good publicity. There was a lot of grassroots organizations. And then was it uh, Ruth Buffalo ended up taking that seat anyways. <laughs> so, so you know, I, I think that's a really good demonstration of the power of the Native vote, especially in rural areas of Turtle Island. What I should add to this conversation around you know, like the the power of the native vote and the complicity of us ha- even telling each other to vote is that, you know, we want to have a relationship with the people that get elected. Even if Biden beats Trump, it's not like going to fix the this like colonial problem <laughs> that we have, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard because there are definitely things we can talk about that are like immediate undoing of things that uh, the Trump administration has done that have been really harmful to Native communities. But there's also an entire list of things that are not going to happen even under a Biden administration. Um, And there's this (laughs) quote that I saw on the wall of the Harvard Law School like years and years ago. And I think about it often in terms of these ideas of justice um, or like doing what's right from the federal government. Um, I will say it's problematic Mm. because it's only attributed as a quote African proverb, which obviously is uh, (laughs) really problematic. But the um, the quote is corn cannot expect justice from a court composed of chickens. Mm. And I think about that in terms of natives asking for equal treatment or justice from the U.S. colonial government is like corn expecting justice from a court made of chickens. Like on the most obvious, (laughs) I mean, we can extend the metaphor as long as we want, but like in that scenario, they want to eat us. They want us to disappear. (laughs) (laughs) And I think about that all the time. Just to make it clear. (laughs) Just to make it clear. They want to eat us. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing because I'm silly, not because the the situation is not serious because it is. Like our lives really depend on it. Yeah. You know, I was really really taken back by the last debate when there was these obvious racial slurs being thrown around, you know, with in the very beginning that didn't seem to make national headlines. And then also the conversation didn't really center around him saying like studying critical race theory is un-American, you know, like (laughs) it was, it was so offensive in so many ways. And I want to 
center indigenous voices. And especially I want to hear from you, Adrian, about what you think about that as a professor of critical race theory. (laughs) I mean, it's critical race theory in that scenario has come to stand in for like something that he has imagined in his head. It's not the actual meaning behind the set of scholarship of critical race theory. And I don't know, like I have a whole syllabus about CRT that is online if folks really actually want to know about it and realize that it's just a framework for understanding the system of race and racism in what is currently known as the United States. It's not anything that is anti-white or whatever he seems to think it is. Um, Yeah, I would be really surprised if Trump had actually read any critical race theory (laughs) whatsoever. Um, I think it would be a good time now for us to talk a little bit about why this administration has been so harmful to Indian country, you know, for those that maybe haven't had a chance to reflect on it and it's in the wholeness. I I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe it doesn't help at all to talk about why Trump has been so bad for us because it just sort of brings you down. (laughs) Like after I amassed this list I was just like oh I felt sick all over again yeah like you know this is this is traumatic you know like I feel like I'm in an abusive relationship <laughs> yeah I mean and that's With always been our relationship the federal government, the federal government. <laughs> um yeah I mean like we we can list things we can like talk about the like rollbacks to all of the environmental protection laws. We can talk about the uh, pushing for drilling in the Arctic um, refuge. We can, I mean, there's on and on. We can talk about so many things. The Mashpee Wampanoag land out of trust case. And the reality is Mm -hmm. these are lived experiences for people in Indian country. Like we're living this every day. So for non-natives, like these might Mm -hmm. seem like kind of, small blips on the screen of all of the wildness going on in this administration. But like, these are things that have such deep implications for our ability to have a relationship with the land. Like, as I'm looking at this list, that's what a lot of these are. It's like, if we're thinking about the Mm -hmm. border wall, if we're thinking about uh, advancing the construction of Dapple, like all of these things that we wrote down, just brainstorming, like these are all bears ears. These are all things about, our ability to have a relationship with our land and our safety of body also yes right like um and that those two are connected and that there isn't um there there isn't separation between land and identity you know so an affront on the land is an affront on the body of indigenous people uh, their nationhood their sovereignty but their their ability to carry on as as the way that they see themselves, the way that they interact as human beings and with the world around them. And so like, you know, the difference between environmental protection movements um, or environmental justice as, you know, like under a white framework is very different than environmental justice in an indigenous community. And I've been thinking about ways to discuss that for this chapter in my book and writing a lot about about it recently and reflecting on, um, you know, how each time our our land is violated, we we get further from from our traditional understandings of ourselves. And so I 
I I feel really personally attacked by this administration. (laughs) And, um, you know, I was thinking about this, like what happened, like what happened with our relatives in Mashpee Wampanoag with taking the land out of trust and realizing that that's the, the first time that that's actually happened since the termination era. And that, that that's a real thing that, that is that we're still fighting is just the right to remain nations and um and i just it it just makes me sick yeah and i mean trump has been anti-indigenous sovereignty on the deepest level since like the 90s i mean he uh lobbied in congress at a hearing uh to stop gaming in the state of connecticut and said some like incredibly racist things at that hearing in front of everyone um, about like that these are not real Indians because they don't look like Indians to him. And then there's a line that I quote in a lot of my talks, which has become even more ironic since we uh, now know what Trump's tax returns look like. But um, he frames it that natives are getting something unfairly. Um, And he said, you're saying only Indians can have the reservations, only Indians can have the gaming. So why aren't you approving it for everybody? Why are you being discriminatory? Why is it that the Indians don't pay tax, but everyone else does? I do. (laughs) Which we now know is a big fat lie. But to me, that's really scary that the president of what is currently known as the United States uh, believes that inherent rights of sovereignty are discriminatory to white people uh, is really scary to me. NCAI has a little infographic that I was looking at, um, the National Congress of American Indians, and it's really helpful in kind of seeing the power of Native votes in a lot of these uh, states that are kind of like purple, (laughs) uh, have possibilities of swinging blue. Um, I mean, some of the examples of the margins of votes. So like the state of South Dakota has 55,000 eligible Native voters. And in 2002, uh, Senator Tim Johnson, who's a Democrat, was reelected by 500 votes. And the pivotal votes, like the final ones that came in to push him over, came from Pine Ridge. Right. And in 2010, Senator Lisa Murkowski, who's Republican, credit her victory to the Alaska Native voters that supported her as she was um, written in in the Which election. Which is wild. <laughs> um, and I mean, there's there's plenty <laughs> more examples like John Tester in Montana won with less than 20,000 votes. And the support was really from tribal nations because there are 57,000 eligible Native voters in Montana, Uh, on and on. I think there are a lot of examples of how Natives can be really instrumental. I mean, there's almost 370,000 Native voters in the state of Oklahoma or 179,000 in the state of New Mexico. Like These are big numbers that can really make an actual change. But given those big numbers, um, according to NCAI, there are 1.2 million Native folks, or 34% of our population, that are not registered to vote. Voting, you know, like, voting is about wielding power. 
you know, it's about doing um, what is in our best interest. And, you know, when we are voting, we're thinking about people that we want to employ and people that we can have a relationship with. So it's not just voting for the national presidential election, but, you know, voting all the way down, you know, through the entire ballot from the state to county and thinking about having relationships with those people and how having relationships with those people um, is going to impact our community, you know, and I think whether uh, we want to participate in the election or not, we're definitely going to be impacted by the election. And so, you know, the way that like every single aspect of our lives is will be impacted by this election. And that, that gives me anxiety too, because I think about like, you know, like personally what is going to happen in the next six months with, with our communities that are being so dramatically impacted by COVID. I think of how many people from our communities we've had to go to funerals for and have lost and are permanently uh, injured from COVID. And that was due to the federal government response and the communities that have been better off are the ones, the native communities that took matters into their own hands and like did weekend lockdowns and prevented outsiders from coming in. And like in South Dakota, it's the tribes are the only ones who are doing any type of protection of their people. Um, so yeah, the federal government's not going to save us, but it also can really harm us in a lot of really scary ways. So should you decide to vote? There's some really good resources and ways, you know, there's, there's like, everybody keeps talking about having a plan, you know, like have a plan to vote, get registered, find out, you know, like what's going to happen with your ballot in your state when the deadline is. Some of those have already passed, unfortunately, but there's still a lot of time in a lot of different places and whether or not you are going to be able to mail in your ballot or whether you have to do that in person, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So for that, I really like votesaveamerica.com because there's, uh, you know, and a really easy drop down window for your state and to see like what the rules are in your state and you can put in your zip code. And from that, you can, you can also check to see if you're actually registered because sometimes we think we're registered and then you go on to check it and you're like, Oh no, my address has actually changed. Right. And um, also I recommend look, I was going to do a mail-in ballot for my state. um, And I looked up the requirements online of the ways that your mail-in ballot can get rejected and one of them that I didn't even think about is that your signature has to match your signature on your state ID and my state ID signature Mm -hmm. uh, on my like driver's license I had to sign it on that little like pad thing and you can't see what you're signing and it looks like a total mess there's no way I could replicate that if I wanted to but (laughs) if I didn't then my ballot was could be in danger of um, being thrown out so things like that are important to be aware of and recognize um, and make sure that your vote really is gonna count and then outside of that there's other ways you know to to participate um, one of the things that a lot of people have been talking to me about is the census you know, like, did you fill out your census yet? My my, my aunties keep asking me that question. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> but I realize that it's very important, you know, because it's what allocates, you know, like 
billions of dollars yes. in federal funding <laughs> which and federal funding deeply impacts our programs on our tribes you know we now have until october 31st um to fill out the census and that was something that that people had to fight for um and again just like with voting we recognize the inherent distrust of the federal government and who wants to give all your info to them but it really is the way that a lot of federal funds that are promised to us through treaty obligations um get to our communities um and also making sure on the census to write your tribal name in the way that is accepted by the federal government um because that's how they count tribal members so like choctaw nation had a big campaign of of writing in choctaw nation because they wanted to make sure there was uh it was easy to tell between Choctaw Nation and Mississippi Choctaw. So thinking about those kinds of things are important as well. There also are a bunch of other podcasts that are coming out just about Native voting, um, like Indian Collective has a new one called Scovote Den uh, that you can listen to. But mm-hmm. I think, and we'll put the links in the show notes um, so you can hear those conversations because they're really powerful too. Um, but I think the more information, the better. And the more resources, the better. And the more informed people can feel about their decision, whether to vote or not, is really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like the uprising is happening. It is not okay that the Trump administration or that Trump at the last debate was talking, like refuses to condemn white supremacy. That is that is not okay. And so now we we are given no choice but to have these discussions over and over and over again because we believe, you know, or would like to move towards <laughs> equality, <laughs> ideally. You know, like, can we talk about liberation and justice? I mean, you well, know. <laughs> corn cannot expect justice from a court made of chickens. But, I mean, that's actually the very important point is that um, I definitely don't see voting or participating in this system as the end goal. And I think that's very clear from our tone with this. Like, I see this as a necessity for this moment that we are in uh, because our lives really do depend on it. But I also think that we need to keep doing the amazing work that we're already doing within our communities to build these otherwise spaces, to imagine a indigenous future that doesn't include the racist federal government that uh, can be rooted in our our indigenous values and knowledges and all of these things that we talk about on the podcast. Um, that's what I want is I want that future that is outside of this system of colonization. But we need to keep building that while we vote right now, <laughs> because uh, it's not one or the other. It's both mm-hmm. for me as one person. Yeah. Right. They're they're not mutually exclusive. So I just want to say to all of our relatives out there that I know it's a tough time right now and that we're in this collective moment and that we're with you, you know, in spirit and mind and um, in solidarity that uh, my prayers and my love go out to all of you and to each and every one of you. And thanks for listening. And we hope that... Um, that you could able to get through the next couple of weeks, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> with um, as little 
emotional fatigue as possible. <laughs> I know it's been re- a really challenging time yeah. for me emotionally, and and I feel exhausted by this current political moment. And so, I I want to extend my love and prayers to all of you. I agree. I just um, have been thinking so much about all of you out there and all of our relatives who are experiencing so many challenging things all at once um, because of the pandemic and because of the political climate and because of the normal everyday experience of being an indigenous person in this country. And it's hard. And I mean, like we've taken kind of a light tone with some of this conversation, but it's it's definitely not a light conversation. And just echoing Matika's good thoughts and, and prayers to everyone and knowing that we send our love out, as always. Mm-hmm. Go vote if you want to. <laughs> Maybe bring... Go vote go if you vote. want That's to. Our... <laughs> That's our slogan. <laughs> go vote if you want to. Okay. And maybe bring an auntie or your grandma with you. Or uncle. Or cousin. Uh, yeah, and like, go vote if you can. I mean, like, let's just... Like, we didn't even acknowledge <laughs> the fact that for some people, like... Like in Navajo Nation, oh my God, like you got to drive really like six hours to go yeah. vote. Yeah, you know, and that's like a, a real part of voter suppression. How about okay? Let's know, amend so like, the slogan to "Go vote if you want to, and if you can." Mm-hmm.